Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza, joined by my good friend Dalton Deldon. And today we are going to provide you with a preview of each Sunday game for week nine of the NFL season. What's up? Halfway point. But first, Dalton... A big week for parents, by the way. Like, not only did our kids have their sports, which we have to check in about, but also it was Halloween. Let's start with Chloe's track and field, her cross-country career, I guess I should say. How's it going so far? Uh, She won her, so she's six for six, and now this upcoming weekend is the final one. So it's extra (sighs) nerve-wracking. The medals are involved, and yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, like right before these races start, I get more nervous than any any sports. I used to get, you know, watching my local team or whatever, or fantasy, whatever, or a game I bet big on or something. But man, Chloe is like, I'm like legit nervous. It's pretty crazy. But anyway, um, she did well. And the final race is the one in which she fell down and got lost and was the closest yeah. finish before. Of course it is. So we're all worried that, you know, she's going to get to the end and not have win. But whatever. We should be encouraging her and saying, you know, positive things. But it's more like, don't blow it on the final race after coming this far, Chloe. It's more of that but give your update now <laughs> well no i i, I totally feel, I feel that because last week no i i totally get it it's like when you care but you are also trying to be level-headed it's it's a tough balance um i last week talked about how pax you know had struck out at his for well he missed one at back because he had to pee and then he uh struck out and then came back and hit a double well we're in a little bit of a slump because It was Halloween on which he played early Halloween morning, so maybe he was a little bit distracted, uh, but he struck out at both of his at-bats. But here's here's like the wrinkle. So if there are any other baseball parents listening, tweet at me, at LizLoza underscore FF, and let me know if you have any advice because he pitched, like it's kid pitch, and normally he's on hot corner, sometimes catcher, sometimes a little bit of pitching, but they let him really stay on the mound for this game. And he was doing really, really well. And he was striking kids out. But then when he went up to bat, the reason he struck out was because he swung at everything. Like any kid that threw something, just even, it doesn't matter like if it was like way out of the box. And of course, they don't really know what the strike zone looks like. Like they're figuring all of that out. But he just swung at all of it. And so the ump had to call a strike. There wasn't really, there's no, there's no do-overs really, you know? So I'm wondering if there's some connection between him pitching and then psyching himself out as a batter when he like switches places. Regardless, I did ask him, the spring registration came through my email and I asked him if he wanted to sign up and a little part of me was like, oh God, I hope he's like not going to chicken out because he's been in the slump. And he 
answered with a resounding like, yeah, of course, mommy, like, let's go. So that's good. Nice. Maybe you have an ace on your hands. Forget about the, the bats. You know, maybe you got your nice uh, yeah. hurler there, a pitcher. Oh, yeah. Got to start uh, start saving no. for that Tommy John surgery. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No curveballs. No breaking pitches. <laughs> um, all right. And I mentioned it was Halloween. Did, uh, what, what happened? How was Halloween in the Del Don household? So, yeah, I already said I was a bad dad to my daughter. So it's all, it doesn't just stop there. Uh, my son, um, I asked for some, you know, I'm not a huge, sh- trying to avoid sugar these days, but I asked for Butterfinger. You know, I'd have one or two of the, the sample stuff, small sizes. He didn't come back with any. So, you know, my wife and I had to do the Jimmy Kimmel prank. You know, he came home from school the next day. <laughs> I told him, son, I'm sorry, I got hungry. You know, I ate all your candy and he looks in his bag, says, you're kidding. And I'm like, no, you'll forgive me, right? And I'll send you the video. But actually, I probably shouldn't because you'll, you'll, you'll think even less of me. But boy, he was crying. The waterworks hit hard and it was pretty bad. It was a brutal video. So, yeah, I sent it to my mom. She thinks we're horrible parents and she called CPS or threatened to. But uh, yeah, so oh, oh, wait, yeah. You're, what you're not telling everyone is you also did this with Chloe when she was little. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a tradition. That's what I said. You don't get away with it. Yeah, we, we warned her and said, you know, get it, you know, don't don't blow it for the, you know, we told her what was going to happen to not give it away. And yeah, Mason, yeah, your sister had to endure it. So you do, too. Yeah. Wow. That is rough. I, there is so much Halloween candy in my house. It is ridiculous. I think, I don't know what we're going to do with all of it. And there's two buckets between like the school parties and the trick or treating. And, you know, they missed, I think honestly, because kids missed Halloween last year, people just went ham on this year and they were giving out like three, you know, usually it's like one piece per house. Like they were giving out like handfuls of this stuff. What's your favorite? Totally. You like the Butterfinger? That's your favorite? Yeah. Yeah. I like Butterfinger. You're right though. Everyone was, I was seeing a lot more full, full candy bars. You're right. If people are compensating for missing last year, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I really like, uh, I like a baby Ruth. Nobody brought home a baby Ruth though. I, oh, I, I like Ruth. a grand. Um, ooh. and Ooh, this year, have you seen these Reese's peanut butter cup thins? Oh no, those sound delicious. Oh, sound good. No, they no. are real good. Because sometimes, yeah. a little, like a big one's a little too, a little too chewy. But the thin, you can just let it mm. sit on your tongue. Mm. Oh, awesome. Okay, so we're gonna move from trick or treating to appropriately the Cleveland at Bengals game because there are certainly, um, there's certainly some trickery going on in the Browns locker room when it comes to OBJ. A little bit of a he said they said situation lots of drama I think regardless of you know the video of LeBron that OBJ's dad posted and the Baker's response to the media and also the friendship that OBJ and Jarvis Landry have and had had since college I saw the best take what I think is the most appropriate and football relevant take it was from Aditi Kinkabawala who's one of my favorite reporters she is one of the best in the business absolute journo she made the point that The Browns run a, quote, rhythm and timing offense. This is something that Matt Harmon and I have talked about on pods. This is what makes Baker able to work and be fluid in this offense. And in a rhythm and timing offense, a receiver is expected to be in a particular spot at a particular time. And if OBJ continues to freelance, even though he may look open to the naked eye or to someone who isn't in the playbook, he probably isn't being considered because he's not in the spot he's supposed to be given the offense they're running. And I thought that that was, at least for fantasy purposes, much more compelling than, oh, well, if OBJ is on the field or not, this means X in terms of volume. Because as of yet, he has not hit his assignments. So his presence does not need to be counted in the same way as a body drawing targets. So the the finish, the targets finish is uh, career splits with Mayfield on the field with OBJ. 
uh, 69.9 passing grade with him off 90.8. All the other nerd yeah. stats are just, they're, they're similar. I mean, it's just wild. The sample continued to grow this year, obviously, when everyone just shook it off or most people did before. So I don't know what the reasoning behind it is, but it was odd and it's, it's, it's bizarre, but it was something to that. And uh, we'll see. Oh, you know, with no Beckham, maybe the passing attack excels. The the Browns, believe it or not, are actually average get, getting the most yards per play on the road uh, in the NFL this year. So it'll be interesting to see with no OBJ. Obviously, it seems like he's not going to play another snap for the Browns ever again. I would tend to agree. Now, Jarvis Landry has been dealing with that knee injury. He made it onto the field last week. What do you think his volume looks like Um in a game against the Bengals, whose defense has continued to look with the... Oh, by the way, can I give you a giant crank congratulations? Last week, you were like, I think this game against the Jets that the Bengals are playing is a bit of a trap game. And I was like, Dalton, come on. You were not only like right in that the Jets gave it to them, but right in that the Jets ended up winning. Like the Bengals put up this signature win against the Ravens and then boom, fall to the Jets. Congratulations. Take your victory lap. Thank you. I'm in a $6 million survivor pool in Vegas, and I talked my partner out of the Bengals last week. So thank you very much. And yeah, it was an exciting week to follow. And then I had the Chiefs, which was absolutely life and death on Monday night. That was so, so close. So it was a super exciting survivor week for me last week. Thanks. Magic Mike White. Love the guy, man. What? Yeah, what a performance. I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't quite see that coming and finishing as a top three fantasy QB throwing for over 400 yards. Uh, what this, Just him and Cam Newton now making their, in their first career start, uh, reaching that number. But yeah, wild. I expect the Bengals to bounce back this week at home you know that was their third straight road game the defense is good this is a really good football team so I don't love the setup for Cleveland having to face you know Cincinnati at home after that loss to the Jets as big favorites what do you think about Jarvis Landry are you putting him inside your top 40 yeah yeah without OBJ if he's healthy enough now especially in PPR but even if not PPR yeah he's top 40 option for sure yes yeah but right on that like 36 to 38 range is what we're thinking for him Agree. Um, One more question. Tyler Boyd was a player that you and I have been confounded by because it seemed at the top of the season that he'd be such a good security blanket for Burrow. And that hasn't been the case, obviously, particularly with the emergence of um, our boy CJ. I did get an interesting question on Twitter, and I want to pose it to you as also a 49ers fan. And this person tweeted, who should I drop? Tyler Boyd or Brandon Ayuk. Now we'll get to the 49ers preview in a minute, but I did want to bring it up here since we've talked about Boyd underwhelming. I would drop Tyler Boyd. Um, Higgins is the guy still. I'm Higgins and and Chase the last four weeks, both getting about 25% target share. Boyd down to 16%. Um, This is not just a homer call with Ayuk because I'm happy to take an L, but this last week, I've actually have dropped Ayuk in in one one league, but I have admittedly had it in a lot. But this last week has been encouraging. Uh, Last game, he had the uh, season high in in route percentage, snap percentage, all that target percentage. And even more encouraging, Shanahan and the offensive coordinator have said, they've praised this week and it always made different changes and I guess even have GPS devices following him in practice and his speed is back I guess he put on too much weight in the offseason is what happened here it was part a of conditioning the problem. issue but, is what we've but, read yeah. yeah but add in the fact that Debo Samuel now is aggravating this calf issue and he's remaining on the on the sidelines and practices was just on an exercise bike I believe Thursday absolutely IU for me I mean there's the upside a oh. guy was getting drafted aggressively in rounds four and five in big money leagues in, in August for a reason I mean he put up big numbers you know uh, Matt Harmon loved him reception perception I, I mean so I, I I'm still a believer in him in year two whereas Boyd is number three on a team you know so no I, I would go after IU's upside it's frustrating as he's been 
I completely agree. And that is the advice I gave. Basically, if you're going to drop someone, drop the player with the with less upside, right? With the with the lower ceiling. Um, and Ayuk offers more potential moving. Now, we already know what Boyd is. And even at his best, he's like um, a floor play. So I agree. Um, let's move on to Denver at Dallas. All right, this one's an interesting one. We've got Dak back, and that feels pretty good. Tyron Smith, however, is likely out. And CeeDee Lamb did not practice on Thursday. He's dealing with an ankle issue. Now, I would probably guess that he plays, but obviously it was Amari Cooper uh, who – it was all the Mr. Coopers, if you watched the show from the 90s hanging with oh, yeah. Um all Pretty the Mr. Sure. Coopers went off in week eight, though, and Amari Cooper and obviously Cooper Rush like showed some incredible chemistry. Okay, so Dak, if he's healthy, which it looks like he was close to playing last week, so they just hopefully should be fully healthy, a week extra rest at home this year. Ten touchdowns, one interception in three games, 9.1 YPA. This dates back to the last couple years. This at home, Dallas's offense becomes extra special. Denver, we know, just traded away Vaughn Miller. Their defense is disappointed through injuries all season. You don't love that Smith being out and CeeDee Lamb now injuring his ankle in practice, but Gallup could return. Um, the guys I'm extra excited for, say, in DFS this week are Amar. Ari Cooper, because of Dax returning and now Lamb being banged yep. up. And Dalton Schultz, who's getting the targets. And Blake Jarwin might be out of this game. So I really like Schultz and, and Cooper and, and Elliott I have as a top three uh, running back this week at home. And uh, Denver may even be able to put up some points now with, with Judy back too. So this could become a high-scoring game. So I like this as a, as a nice DFS back-and-forth matchup. Are you not worried at all about um, Dalton Schultz's volume with Gallup potentially back though? Or if CeeDee Lamb is banged up, then that makes the equation easier to figure. Totally agree that, that Gallup being out has helped Schultz, but if Jarwin is missing this game and Gallup is still iffy and Lamb banged up, I think that all equals a, a net yeah. positive for sure for Schultz. Yeah, and the knee jerk might be, oh, well, so-and-so is back, but not factoring in all of those other pieces. So I agree with you there. I also need to mention that Noah Fant popped up on the COVID list. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, we know that these players have to produce two negative tests back-to-back, -back, which has not been something players have been able to do thus far into the season. I did want to mention my boy, Albert O. He scored in week one, which people who were fant investors, um, I guess you could say, were a little bit disappointed by, but he is the minimum, um, the minimum price in our daily game at just $10. I like him as a sneaky play. I think he could, uh, particularly in DFS, I mean, it's 10 bucks. Are you chasing touchdowns? Sure. But at that price, why not? And as you mentioned, with Denver's defense taking a hit and Teddy back and Judy back, they could be, they could, they're going to be chasing points. Dallas is a 10 point favorite in this one. So the anticipation is there might be a little bit more throwing than we're used to out of this low volume passing offense. Love Alberto, your Alberto call for a sleeper this week. 100% assuming Fant is out. He's in 99th percentile in the 40 and the speed score. Dallas actually ranks, for what it's worth, last in DVOA versus tight ends this season. So yeah, Alberto is absolutely a sleeper tight end this week. Do you, do you hear that, Dalton? Do you just, do you hear that same noise that I'm hearing? It's what's that? No, it is. Um, oh, I think someone is blasting the Lizzo Cardi B single rumors, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's Tua Tungavailoa who will be hosting the Houston Texans this week. I would imagine that there is um some motivation for our friend Tua to perform well in this matchup. No. 
Absolutely. I hope his finger injury is okay because I'm strongly considering using Miami in the aforementioned big survivor pool, but I liked it a lot more when Tyrod Taylor was not starting and it was Davis Mills. So this could be a fun back and forth game. Yeah. yeah. Tua's, Tua's come up a tough, tough matchup against Buffalo. He's looked he's looked fine otherwise in this matchup. It's the opposite of that against Houston with his receivers, hopefully fully healthy with Parker and Waddle and Gasicki. So yeah, I'll even like Gaskin this week with Malcolm Brown. And I know that resulted in more Patrick Laird last week, but this game script should be totally, totally different. Um, Their defense, if you, one thing I will say, I know Tyrod Taylor's played really, really well, but if you look at the overall season stats, Miami looks like an awesome matchup uh, for the receivers and quarterbacks, but they've gotten a little healthier in that secondary with some bigger names. I mean, they held Josh Allen last week at home to 5.9 YPA, put up a big fantasy game, but still, I think this Miami defense is playing a a little bit better than their one and seven record may indicate. I think that's fair. A couple of value plays at the DFS in DFS. I want to mention Devonte Parker, if he's healthy, assuming he's healthy. I really loved seeing him on the field back from the hamstring slash shoulder issues last week, and I really love the fact that Tua was pushing the ball to him. We talked about even when Jacoby Brissett was under center, there was clearly. Um, an importance, like a priority in getting the ball to Devontae Parker in the red area of the field. They kept going back to him, and Tua has, despite his reluctance from a year ago, managed to continue to do that. Devontae Parker's only $18 in this in this one. On the other side of the matchup, Brandon Cooks, who we are expecting to, to do quite well with Tyrod back, is also only $18. So how about that? Like at your wide receiver two and wide receiver three spots, $18 a piece, you can get Tyreek Hill for 30. And my gosh, what an affordable bundle. Like both those, Parker, especially Cooks, right? With, with Tyrod Taylor back, I mean, even if Miami Seconder is playing better, Tyrod Taylor was incredible through the first six weeks. When he left injured that week two in Cleveland, he was completing 91% of his passes, 11.4 YPA, zero sacks, two touchdowns at halftime, and he had a great week one against Jacksonville. Probably not going to keep that type of performance up, but it's going to be night and day compared to Davis Mills. He was just playing pretty poorly. So um, I like Brandon Cooks, uh, Tyrod Taylor, cheap DFS, um, and then... Conversely, though, I don't like touching anything on the running back situation there in Houston. We thought no, it might no, no. clear up with, with Mark Ingram gone, but it just resulted in more Rex Burkhead. So you can't even look to David Johnson, even with Ingram gone. Last Tyrod stat, um, you mentioned that the Miami defense is getting healthier, and I agree. But I, here's just like a weird irony of numbers, if anyone is into numerology at all. The Dolphins are allowing, up until this point, an average of 291 passing yards per game. That is exactly what Taylor threw for versus the Jags in week one. And now if Taylor isn't able to get that done through the air because of the health uh, returning to Miami, let's not forget that the Finns gave up 55 rushing yards and a ground score to Josh Allen. Admittedly, it was the rushing touchdown in week two that Tyrod aggravated the hamstring issue that caused him to be sidelined on. But we know he's got wheels, whether he's reluctant or not to use them. At least we know that that is um, available to him in both the matchup and his skill set. It's a great point, because even though I say, hey, Josh Allen was held to 5.9 YPA against Miami last week, he still finished as the number one yeah. fantasy QB. So, yeah, I still got done. By the way, number two fantasy Q- QB, our guy Jimmy G and his homecoming to uh, to Chicago. Yes. Pretty crazy. And let me reiterate, I totally agree with your first point that I have Tua as a top 12 fantasy QB this week. Love him. Assuming this, his finger's okay, and I reportedly look fine throwing on the side in practice, but uh, assuming he's and good to go also- health-wise, love the call. Mike Gusecki reiterated when he was speaking to the press, and we know that Gusecki is obviously quite a safety valve for Tua, um, that he's throwing the ball fine. So, I mean, that could be player speak, whatever. But, yes, I agree with you. Let's move on to the next 
uh, matchup. It is an NFC South showdown. Atlanta at New Orleans. The Saints are favored by six and a half in this one, which is interesting considering we are not 100% sure which quarterback or a combination of both Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill will be under center primarily for the Saints. Obviously, Hill, who was concussed back in week five, hadn't up until Thursday practiced with the team. Now, he did practice fully yesterday with the team, um, and that was the first time. It's also a matchup that if we're looking at last year's stats, different regime, some different bodies, but last year in weeks 11 and 13, these poor Falcons had it taken to them by Hill, who managed 28 fantasy points in both of those contests. So mm, it it, it leads me to believe that people are rather high on Hill this week. Oh, yeah, the rushing's just a cheat code. I have him as an easy top 10 fantasy QB if he gets the start. You don't love him coming off a few weeks missing a concussion, but otherwise, then otherwise, I mean, yeah, the matchup. Falcons allowed the fifth most fantasy points to opposing QBs, but he just runs. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Taysom Hill as a fantasy option, especially as an affordable DFS option, but I'm, I'm treating him as even, you know, top 10 fantasy QB right away in this matchup. I'm a little bit bearish on him because of how long he's missed how long he was without the team and also like I just find it very difficult to trust Sean Payton he's kind of like this caged wild fox who used to party with Kenny Chesney in the early aughts and like I don't know (laughs) he can get awfully creative like he creates this opus versus the Packers and then another one versus Tampa Bay although I mean everyone's talking about I just have to say this bit like everyone's talking about Trevor Simeon surprising but we have seen time and time again a backup quarterback come in and just throw the opposing defenses throw their game plan off like they just don't know what to do and everything they had practiced up until that week is no longer available to them or no longer working and so then you know Brady starts pressing and the Saints defense picks him off and so I'm not (laughs) I don't know I'm not as um concern that there's a bit of a controversy here, but it wouldn't surprise me that Sean Payton, to see Sean Payton kind of utilize both of these players in different times, though I would imagine that Hill would obviously lead the QBBC by quite a large margin. No, I wouldn't put it past Peyton either. That would be a disaster fantasy-wise and make Hill a big, far bigger uh, fantasy risk. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. But I really like their their offensive line as well. And it was impressive beating the Bucks, you know, after losing your quarterback. But yeah, it's something to pay attention to what happens there in the quarterback situation because it's far from settled and they haven't like in anything been, made any definitions there. And it's, it's, it's remained, you know, a bit of a mystery what they're going to do. But I'm just assuming it's going to be Taysom Hill, but um, certainly open to the possibility that it becomes uh, changes there. Any concern about Alvin Kamara? Now, I I think we both have him ranked as the RB3 for the week, but it is worth mentioning that while he scored a rushing touchdown in weeks 11 and 13 that I mentioned last year, in each of those games, his work in the receiving game took a massive hit. That's kind of what we know when Hill is under center, things are going to shift a little bit. He had just four total targets in both of those games. Um, any, Any concern there? Yeah, I originally bumped him down, um, and then I thought about it, and throughout the week, I moved him closer to top three, as I have settled with, because there was another game that Taysom Hill targeted him 10 times, and this current version of of the Saints does not have Michael Thomas. And won't have Michael Thomas. uh, Yeah, won't, won't. and I just think they're they're just featuring him. They're running him like crazy. Totally agree that the targets are an unknown right now with with, with Kamara, and in full PPR, that's a a big deal. Is he going to be the number one fantasy back moving forward, or is he going to be the number nine? And that's really going to be the difference in targets because he's getting so many of the other important carries and they have such an awesome offensive line and um, I mean it's not like Winston was I mean I think 
Taysom Hill can be a reasonable facsimile. One other concern, though, with Hill, not just the targets, but he's more of a goal line touchdown runner. So he could steal some goal line scores, too, there, whereas Winston was not doing. So Kamara could go either way here. He could be the number one fantasy back from here on out easily as a focal point, finally, yep. you know, uh, at the turn this year. Or he could be more like the eighth or ninth guy who loses targets and goal line scores now that Taysom Hill is the QB. Friendly matchup for the test, though. When I look at the matchup, I think, okay, I'm glad this is the week we'll figure it out. It doesn't totally. seem like it'll be too boomer bust because the other the, because the Falcons are so generous. Another team that's been in the news: the Las Vegas Raiders are traveling across the country to MetLife Stadium to take on the Giants. Now, Rich Bisaccia and the two and Raiders are leading the AFC West. It was reported that Zay Jones is expected to replace Henry Ruggs in the lineup as the Z receiver. It's worth mentioning that in the two games in which Bisaccia has been the head coach, both Ruggs and Brian Edwards, who I think is an interesting player to talk about, drew four targets apiece. And in one of those games, obviously Darren Waller, that was week seven, was not available because he's dealing with an ankle injury. Since then, Waller, the ankle injury seems to be fine and Waller's expected to play in week nine. So that's a whole lot of words. Are you, I do not feel comfortable relying on a Zay Jones, but I might be more comfortable relying on a Brian Edwards, particularly because I pretty much, and we all pretty much know what Hunter Renfro is at this point. Man, Ruggs was getting the number three in yards per target receiver in the NFL. That's wild. Renfro, I do give a bump up to. I have him as a borderline top 30 guy here, especially in PPR. Top 30? Um, Edwards is, yeah, I have him. Uh, Edwards, uh, I mean, I have Renfro my number thir- 32 receiver this week. Yeah, I think the targets are going to be fed to him big time without without Ruggs. I do think that changes him a little bit there, but maybe maybe that's too much. Edwards is more of a of a flex option. I um, Maybe I'm wrong there. You like Edwards more. I mean, I, I hear you. I hear you. I could be talked about. No, I, th- I think it's. To me, I understand, and Scott and Andy have said this ad nauseum, and I agree with it, so I apologize if it's redundant for our listeners, but, you know, Hunter Renfro is basically West Coast Jamison Crowder, and so is he going to catch more than six balls? Like, what, we were in six for 60? Like, it, it, there, there's not much red zone appeal, and I feel like a, fair. a, pl- a player fair, yeah. as physical and dynamic, like, Edwards has an opportunity now to like really shine in a way that he wasn't necessarily before. So yeah, no, it's an upside play. A he's of, a flex play, totally. but he's definitely like he's the ceiling play to me. Totally. Renfro's ceiling is very limited, and especially with Waller back practicing too. That doesn't help either. So yeah, I'm totally with you there. We're gonna talk ceiling. My guy Kadarius Tony, that's why I use it. for our that's for our prediction of the week. But now Galladay, I wake up after I turn in the call, uh, turn it in my blurb, and now Galladay's back practicing. So I don't love it as much if Galladay does play, but man, if there was no Galladay, uh Shepherd or Barkley, uh, Tony's dealing with this thumb issue, and the Raiders have surprisingly been so stingy uh, against the pass, but um, they've been mediocre in fantasy points allowed to receivers, and Tony just looks like a future star, if not one right now, um, if he's healthy. I, lo- I love Tony with possibly looking at a ton of targets with all those injuries in New York. Well, you mentioned Sterling Shepard and, and Saquon Barkley. Let's start with Shepard. He is not expected to play. He obviously exited week eight early. And it was then after it went, you know, I don't think Tony had like one catch at the half or something like that. And then it was in the second half of the game, despite being in and out with a thumb issue, that he started to see his production go up. I don't think they really wanted to work him back from that ankle injury as quickly as they needed to. And yes, now I, I would imagine I'm, I'm seeing nothing about the ankle as an issue any longer. It's the thumb issue. He did manage to post on social media without much problem. So I'm going to imagine if his thumb enough mm-hmm. is, <laughs> if thumb is healthy enough to hit tweet, then 
probably it's good. Just laying that out there very casually. Um, so Sterling Shepard not expected. That gives Tony a boost. Yes, you're right about Kenny G. He was back at practice on Thursday. Uh, he played his best game in week four before he got hurt. He converted six to seven for 116, and that was at New Orleans. Pretty good matchup, although Lattimore can be up and down. And then Saquon Barkley, we thought, like, I had him as my RB10 coming back from the ankle issue. Like, okay, fine. Like, if you have Saquon Barkley available, ankle or no ankle, we've slow played this enough. Like, you're going to run him, right? And then he ends up on the COVID list. It's kind of complicated because there are, like, PCR tests versus the in-home team testing situation and there's been a little bit of discrepancy between them but basically he needs to provide two negative tests back to back which is apparently pretty tough to do and unlikely so I'm gonna move I haven't moved him in my rankings personally he's still my RB10 but I am fully anticipating on like Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon depending on when the reports materialize that I'm gonna have to take him out and then Devonta Booker obviously becomes one of those like RB2 plays. Yeah, it's just one of the situations you have to pay attention to, right? Probably up till game time. There was even reports during the Monday night game about his swelling returning. It didn't sound ideal. But uh, yeah, if he's if he's active, I'm, I'm starting Barkley. And uh, if he's not, then I'm treating Booker as a borderline top 20 guy who's been yep. treated as a workhorse there. And it's a, actually a pretty good matchup. The Vegas has been good against the pass, but uh, bottom 10 in fantasy points allowed to running backs. Let's move to the next matchup. This one's a little bit ugly. For Carolina, New England is traveling to the Panthers, but maybe Sam Darnold, he's having trouble clearing the concussion protocol, so might be P.J. Walker. Uh, let's start with the receivers first before we delve into like the question marks surrounding CMC, but I don't know. If you're dealing with P.J. Walker, are you really down? I mean, I don't think anyone's starting Robbie Anderson anymore. I don't think anyone's like worried about Terrace Marshall. Like If people even still have either of those guys on their deep benches, I'm still going to roll out DJ Moore because I think he's talented enough to drag whoever it is under center into production. Yep, agreed with all of that. Um, and here, here's this, DJ Moore. Over the last four weeks, fourth in expected fantasy points per game, 44th in actual fantasy points per game. So it's not like he's been getting good quarterback play, whomever starts right. out there Sunday. So yeah, exactly what you said. All right, so Christian McCaffrey, I mentioned some question marks he's still dealing with that hamstring issue it was previously reported that he would not play in week nine we should expect a week 10 return but then he went and practiced on thursday and has everybody buzzing with potential excitement cautious optimism i guess you could say yeah i've been expecting one more week off but um and the coaching has been so the, the quotes have been so vague but pretty much exactly like barkley uh if mccaffrey's active you're playing him if not you're playing hubbard Totally agree. Yep. And let's move it on along to uh, Josh Allen and the Bills traveling south to Jacksonville. Um, I have to mention this. The spread on this one <laughs> is insane. The Bills are giving 14 and a half. Uh, wow. That is a lot. On the road, too. Yeah, I know Jacksonville uh, has not been, um, yeah, has not gone not gone as planned for Urban Meyer in, in 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 season one. There's probably only be one season, but yeah, and James Robinson iffy for this game. But yeah, that's that's a gigantic spread, especially for a road team. And also further hampering the Jags. I mean, obviously, if you're paying attention to this spread, you're not imagining the game flow is going to work on behalf of the running back. But if it if you did have James Robinson available, that would be the running back you'd want in this matchup, particularly because the Bills defense is so good. Now it's probably going to be Carlos Hyde as Robinson is still banged up. 
Yeah, you probably treat him as a flex option too. Just look at the rest of the running backs. There's a lot of iffiness after the top 20 or so. And if he's going to be the clear guy without Robinson. But yeah, you hate the matchup. And it's not like he's as dynamic as a receiver. So yeah, it's been... I mean, Jamal Agnew is getting a ton of targets instead of Chenault the last time we saw Jacksonville. It's been it's been rough, man. It's been tough. It's tough to start them in, in favorable matchups, let alone ones against the league's best defense like Buffalo's. I will say that the only consistent thing in Jacksonville has been Dan Arnold and normally a a player that's traded you know in the middle of the season or at the top of the season especially does not transition so quickly and well and Dan Arnold has proven to be the security blanket that this rookie signal caller definitely needs he's seeing the targets and again I don't love the matchup I believe the Bills have only allowed two touchdowns to opposing tight ends all season but if you are in a pinch Uh, You got Gronk, he's not available this week. You got rookie Seals Jones, he's not available this week then. You know, if you need to stream, live the dream with Dan Arnold. Yeah, we got to keep with our uh, theme of sleeper tight ends. I'm with you again. He's a a top 12 tight end uh, this week for me. Arnold, he's getting the targets, even the matchup's tough. I also like Tyler Conklin in in Baltimore this week. Baltimore's allowing a lot. Yeah, there are a couple couple more more sleeper tight ends for us. But Albert O. Let's skip ahead a little bit too much. We're going to get to Tyler Conklin next. But uh, on the Buffalo side of things, hey, can we give ourselves a pat on the back mutually? Because we both thought Gabe Davis would find the end zone last week. And in fact, he did end up being a red zone presence in the stead of Dawson Knox. That's right. That was, yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah, that was in your sleeper column too, I believe. Yeah, no, good call. No, you said it too on our pod. You said it last week on the pod. We were both in agreement about it. All right, so now let's get to Tyler Conklin because obviously if we're going to talk about the Vikings at Baltimore, the big story is the Vikings tight end. Why not lead with that? Um, Conklin, if we're talking about, you know, a big load of targets like we were with Dan Arnold, then Conklin needs to be part of that conversation. He's averaging over five looks per game. That's a tight end 11 for that statistical category. And he's coming off of his second most productive outing of the year. He converted five of seven for 57 yards last week. I think he's going to get peppered again. Obviously, the Ravens are favored. They're favored, in fact, by six. So you would imagine that the Vikings are going to be playing a little bit of catch up. And the matchup is super, super good. The Ravens have allowed the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. And even deeper than that, over seven games, Baltimore has given up six touchdowns to tight ends. So if we're averaging basically a touchdown a week, then we're looking at the targets that Conklin is receiving and we're imagining that game script is going to work in his favor. I think it's a pretty easy play. Yeah, I love Conklin. I couldn't help myself jumping ahead there because this is my sneaky DFS matchup of of the week. A lot of combined plays here. Uh, Coming off just a stinker, uh, Kirk Cousins in primetime. You know, everyone expect him to beat uh, the Dak Prescott-less Cowboys. But I expect a a nice bounce back from Justin Jefferson after quiet that last week. And the Ravens, you know, they are coming off a bye, but I like their offense a whole lot better than I do their defense. They're actually allowing the second most yards per play at home this season. So I think Mm. Cousins bounces back. Uh, The the Vikings are actually playing better on the road, too. So, I mean, I think Cook bounces back with, you know, top five type finish this week among running backs. So I I like uh, the Vikings uh, to to put up yards and points this week in a matchup that does not appear good on paper, you know, getting the, the going outdoors, traveling to face a Baltimore team coming off a bye. But then conversely, I think the Ravens are going to put up a ton of points. So I think it's just going to be something of a track meet. I think Lamar Jackson, uh, the passing attack with Bateman healthy in the second half is going to be really something. I think the Ravens are going to put up a lot of points. I completely agree. Also, without Daniil Hunter available for the Vikings in the defense, like that definitely helps the Ravens attack. 
hundred percent. Great point. He's a great player and he's out and that's a big deal too. Yeah. Now the Minnesota is their, their center might miss this game too. That's definitely don't, that's not ideal, but um, yes, I think the points are going to be on the board in both ways and, and fire up a lot, lot of options here in DFS. Out of curiosity, where are you ranking Bateman this week? Given the points that you're, is he inside your top 40? He is my 40. Yeah, it's my receiver 42, but I'm going to move him up. He should be top 40. You're right. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. I have him. Right I have him inside my top 35. Like we are similarly like bullish no, yeah, on him. That's too low. No, it's too low. I mean, I have him too low. I'm moving him up as we speak. 100%. Yeah, I like it. Top 35. All right. Well, I'll let you deal that with that while I get to this next matchup between the Chargers and the Eagles. I mean, <laughs> the Chargers dropped a tough loss last week and the Eagles are are kind of a disaster. It's interesting because Jalen Hurts has been so wonderful for fantasy managers, but like he's not winning games for the actual franchise. The Eagles are three and five. So preemptively speaking, if you're in a deep super flex league, like are you trying to stash Gardner Minshew? I have done that in one. It could come to that because um, you are right. I don't know why they wouldn't just let him play it out, though. It's weird. He's getting it done for fantasy, that's for sure. But definitely an option in deeper Superflex leagues to stash him into at this point. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have any hurts, but I do. Um, I do think that might be something like in the fishbowl, if you can still do it, might be someone something to look ahead to. Also, when you're looking at this matchup, so like we all know that the Chargers have the worst run defense in the league, right? So we're expecting a decent amount of running from the Eagles. <laughs> we're not expecting it to be Kenneth Gainwell. That stings. It's going to be some combination of Boston Scott and Jordan Howard. But on the other side of things, it's not like the Philadelphia rush defense has been particularly good either. They have the number 22 ranked rush defense per DVOA, and they've allowed the second most fantasy points to opposing running backs. Yeah, I've been super, super stingy against opposing receivers, bottom three. So I like this setup for your guy, um, your guy, Austin Eckler. He's been getting the the red zone touches that people didn't, many did not expect. The goal line looks to go along with the targets we saw last week. So I used him as one of my DFS building blocks in my DFS primer for week nine. I, I like Eckler's setup quite a bit this week. I have him in my DFS lineup as well. He's $30 and it's worth mentioning on this week's episode of Eckler's Edge. Austin basically said like his bar for himself every week is a hundred total yards and a touchdown. So I will take the over on that for him, given the matchup. Yeah, it should be a fun one. Winless at home, Philly, this year. And it's weird what's happened with Justin Herbert kind of becoming a dink and dunk. There was some concern this was going to happen with Joe Lombardi turning it into a Drew Brees offense. But I think the Chargers bounce back in this one. Um, I just feel like they're due for a, for a better offensive performance. I agree with you. Um, if we're talking about offensive performances and we think about offensive fireworks and how much we like those, we were so looking forward to this next matchup. It was supposed to be Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams back off the COVID list, traveling to Arrowhead, one of the rowdiest stadiums that you could possibly play at versus this mildly resurgent, I suppose you could say, Chiefs, um, Chiefs squad with Patrick Mahomes and... Yikes. That's not what we're going to get. We're not going to get Aaron Rodgers. He's not vaccinated. So, and he is on the COVID list. So he will be unavailable for 10 days. We may not even get him in week 10. That does, however, mean that this is a Jordan Love game. So while some people think the Packers glass is Aaron Rodgers empty, I would like to believe it is Jordan Love full. 
I like it. But the, the spread moves seven points, both yeah. for obviously the in the Chiefs way, but also the over under. So fewer points are expected all around. But man, Jordan Love, he uh, I said Greg Rosenthal tweeted that he was uh, impressed in the preseason and he might ball out this Sunday. And Rosenthal watches a lot. So I'm I, as, a, as a cheap DFS option, minimum DFS option against the, the league's, you know, the defense allowing the most yards per play. It, it's there are worse options. Uh, he did not run a ton in college uh, much at all, Love, but he's fast. So um, very curious to see how how this shakes out this week in this matchup. Devontae Adams is tougher to use in DFS unless you're using him as like a contrarian play in tournaments because his ceiling lowers a bit with no Rodgers, obviously. But uh, I think the volume, you can project an increase in volume for both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I think Green Bay is really going to concentrate on their running backs. And conversely, sorry to steal your thunder here, but I know he's your sleeper guy too. But Derek Gore, I mean, he had six red zone opportunities and just 15 yeah. snaps last week. And CEH looks unlikely to return. So I like the the, the running backs in this game, Gore, Aaron Jones, and even like a couple of flex options like Dylan and Gore sleepers too in this matchup. I, you can preach on Derek Gore all you want. I really enjoyed his story out of Louisiana Monroe. Um, a kid who came through Juco to begin with. And then Alabama was like, you can be a walk on, but you know, that's a different story. And then he went to Louisiana Monroe and he's bounced around a lot. He's like, Got a nice forward lean, probably um, like a short yardage specialist. It is worth mentioning if we're going to talk about Gore that Williams did see all of the looks in the passing game and managed what I think two more totes than Gore did. But Gore seems to be like the early down short yardage option, probably going to have the goal line. And we do like that in a matchup against the Packers. Just want to circle back to Jordan Love quickly. I think the stat that everybody is clinging to, like everyone is assuming, especially after Aaron Rodgers put on this like heroic performance against the undefeated Cardinals last week, right? That it's going to be a massive letdown. And I am not debating that there is a chasm between these two quarterbacks, but the stat that everyone loved to cite when Love was coming out into the draft was that he threw the most interception 17 among eligible quarterbacks in 2019. Decision-making has not been his strong suit, right? That's always been the knock against him. However, he's been sitting on the bench behind Aaron Rodgers, and the matchup is quite good. He only has seven career pass attempts. He converted five of those for 68 yards, and that was in mop-up duty in week one against, uh, not mop-up duty, that was when he was, the the Packers were getting mopped in relief of Aaron Rodgers, um, is when he converted the five of seven But also, there's not very much tape available on this kid. He hasn't been allowed to play. And we already know that the Chiefs' defense is reeling. Is the addition of Malvin Ingram going to help? Absolutely. Will it help immediately? I don't know. Usually takes a minute for everything to gel. Legereus Sneed, who is Kansas City's leading cornerback, he's 479 snaps on the season, he is allowing a passer rating of 190. 19.9%. That is the cornerback 142. So I think that the matchup for someone like Devontae Adams, even though I agree with you in DFS, like doesn't look great and the ceiling is capped. Do we not think that Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams can lead this rookie into production? I think they absolutely can. Like I would start Jordan Love over our boy Jimmy Garoppolo. I'd start him over Matt Ryan. Those are fair. I'm warming up more to him more and more throughout the week. He's getting Adams back. He's getting Lazard back, maybe even MVS. So, yeah, and the matchup. And, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, 
you're right. No tape at all. I like the the fact that there's such an unknown here too. So he could go crazy. Certainly in DFS at this at the, that salary. Um, and then one final note on our guy Gore. Green Bay ranks 30th in defensive uh, in rush DVOA, and the game script could be favorable with seven point favorites. And he just looked noticeably better than Daryl Williams last week. And Tyree Kill and Kelsey and the whole passing attack. Something's not right there. I mean, either it's injuries or what, but something's not right there. So yeah. um, Derek Gore could Derek Gore could be a complete zero and not see the field, but he also uh, could be something. I definitely think he should be stashed everywhere at minimum. Definitely take those fresh legs on a short week with Gore. I'm with you. All right. Next matchup is the aforementioned Cardinals at your San Francisco 49ers. Now, it's interesting because there are a bunch of key injuries at play here. Kyler Murray obviously dealing with that ankle sprain that he suffered in the last moments of the upset last week against the Packers. He did not practice on Thursday, but we also know that Cliff Kingsbury has said, like, uh, Kyler doesn't really need to practice if he's going to start. So that's being monitored. Also, DeAndre Hopkins aggravated the hamstring issue that he had. So now you've got your QB and your wide receiver one hampered. And it feels like Vegas is implying that Kyler is not going to start because the line in this game is moving. And now San Francisco is favored, in fact, by one and a half. Yeah, it does appear. Yeah, it's still a total unknown who does start. But yeah, that would be a big deal if it's Kyler Murray or Col- Colt McCoy. So um, yeah, and even Dondre Hopkins, as you said, his status uncertain. And then on the Niners too, Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell are all questionable. So a lot of injuries to sort through here. And unfortunately for fantasy managers, this is an afternoon game too. So that's that's frustrating aspect here too. But um, yeah, no, with the point spread, if you had to guess now, you'd, you'd point to no uh, Kyler Murray and that would obviously hurt the entire higher uh, fantasy values for all of Arizona, certainly James Conner, who relies on those goal line scores. Um, but the Niners, man, they're, they've won in 10 over their last 11 home games. So it's not like they're overly tough in Levi's Stadium. But um, Jimmy Garoppolo's coming off a good game. He's holding off uh, Trey Lance and, and Elijah Mitchell. Uh, his rib injury is, is the other key as far as fantasy goes. I mean, Kyler Murray, as good as he's been, man, Elijah Mitchell looks like the waiver wire pickup of the season right now. Fab buster, indeed. If Kyler Murray starts, where are you ranking him? And do you feel comfortable playing him? Or would you pivot if you had the opportunity to, to a Tyrod Taylor, to a Jordan Love? I assume Taysom Hill probably won't be available. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, not, I would play Taysom Hill over him, but I'd play Murray over the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Same. him ranked, a, yeah, you know, right around like 10, 11, 12 area. Like Tua would be another option. You know, you're debating. But um, yeah, it would de- he's going to be compromised if he does suit up and you don't expect many rushing yards. So I could absolutely see. No, that's see, it. That's like the beauty yeah. of him is the cheat code. And if his ankle's messed up, he's not going to be able to. I mean, that's just logic. He won't be able to run as hard. Yeah, so I could see someone being like, no, no, I'd rather start Carson Wentz even over him or a Bridgewater in a possible shootout in Dallas. Like I could see those even being possible options if you wanted to go that route. Tennessee at the Rams is the Sunday night game. Another one with interesting wrinkles, obviously disappointing that Derrick Henry is not going to be available for this matchup. I asked Austin Eckler on Eckler's Edge if he felt like Ryan Tannehill could carry the Titans offense without Derrick Henry, because I think we need to talk about the fact that Ryan Tannehill has never been the Titans quarterback without Derrick Henry available to him in the backfield. And now they have these two receivers. It's been wonderful to see AJ Brown play to this high level, the level that we drafted him with, you know, the, the upside with it's been fantastic. Julio Jones, hamstring, soft tissue, don't need to tell all y'all listeners that that lingers. Like, are we going to get him? Are we not going to get him? What version are we going to get? Is he going to be a decoy? 
Also, who is Jalen Ramsey going to be bothering? And the biggest problem for me in this matchup for Ryan Tannehill is the fact that his offensive line has given up 24 sacks. Now, admittedly, sacks are also partially a quarterback stat. But on the other side of the ball is the Rams defense, which I, yes, I understand has underwhelmed. Well, they're still leading the league in sacks with 25. So, kabow. I, lo- I love A.J. Brown without Derrick Henry so much. He's my number two receiver this week, even if Julio does play. So I, mean, I think he's going to get the targets he deserves. Hopefully he can stay healthy the rest of the season. A big if, admittedly. But when he's healthy on a weekly basis, I'm treating him as pretty much top five, no matter what the matchup is with no Derrick Henry. Jeremy McNichols has been the guy I went after in the waiver wire this week. Not uh, old man Peterson, but I'll probably end up being wrong. And even the coordinator Downing's coming out saying there's no need for us to change our philosophy. We're going to play smash mouth football. But I'll I'll believe it when I see it. I think Tannehill's fan, his efficiency is going to go down, but his fantasy stats are, are going to go up. Um, so yeah, I, 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 Julio Jones, hopefully can get healthy too. To, that would certainly help as well. But Jeremy McNichols is the guy that I'm, I don't know how confident I'd feel starting him in this matchup right away, but I don't know. He put up some pretty big college seasons and his BMI suggests he could be a featured back and he should get the targets even when Peterson's there. But do you have any thoughts on the Tennessee backfield? Yeah. I mean, I understand that, the assumption is that it is going to be McNichols to start with. But I also feel like this is a moment where fantasy can be instructive. And perhaps you could also argue this is recency bias. But did we not just discuss the Philadelphia Eagles backfield situation? Did we not just talk about the fact that Kenneth Gainwell was as the number two back? And yes, the receiving option. But of course, like he'll just get more carries and he'll fill the role that Miles Sanders was playing at the time. But no, like I'm I'm just not sure if a why would you add Adrian Peterson has such a distinct skill set, particularly at this place in his career, that why would you add him if you weren't going to use him on early downs, right? Like, and if there was, first of all, it's the easiest position to add someone new, right? Like this, it's not a terribly complex position. So you can plug someone new in there without the, the playbook needing to be fully absorbed. If there were a vet, who could take on this role that Derrick Henry, and I'm not, of course, not intimating that he's going to fill it. He's probably not even going to fill up to 70%. But if there were a vet who could do it, it is this particular vet. He is the other anomaly in the league. And so I feel like if I'm playing with touchdown upside, if I want to change, am I thinking who's going to get the six? And we know, obviously, that the Rams are easier to beat on the ground than they are through the air. Okay then I think Adrian Peterson, like, is my flex play. I don't love the fl- I don't love the ceiling, but I think he might be my floor. It's, it's entirely possible. 36 years old, 3,200 career carries, but he's proven me wrong multiple times in the past. And you're totally right as far as replacement. I mean, it obviously makes sense to, to, yeah, to pound the football with him. So that'll be interesting to see uh, for sure. Matthew Stafford on the other side looks like a, maybe the favorite to win MVP and uh, Van Jefferson is this is the guy that you got to consider oh, as the flex call. option to talk about here because he's just getting the he's just running the same amount of routes as the other two receivers not put up in the production but he's definitely in the mix as a flex in an offense that's just so so efficient. Do you have a favorite DFS play in this single game offering? Well, <laughs> I was going to say McNichols at five dollars in Peterson's <laughs> first game, or if he was going to suit up. So we'll uh, we'll see. I think they're going to have to throw the the game script. They're going to be behind. Yeah. So even if that results in some dump offs, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead, go all in, and say McNichols for fifteen. All right. Well, we'll 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 monitor it, and we'll I'm sure discuss that and more next 
week because that's it for this week. We've run out of games to preview, but if you want to keep chatting with us, you can do that on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at LizLows underscore FF. You can follow Dalton at Dalton Del Don. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. And stick around here too because Matt Harmon will be joined by TJ Hernandez for a DFS preview of this week's games on Saturday's episode of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Until then, good luck. Enjoy those Butterfingers. Hopefully your kids brought you some baby roots. And good luck. We're out.